Now a large crowd were travelling with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and is not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000, if he cannot? Then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all your possessions. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. I don't know if you want to say thanks be to God after listening to that. This is a really difficult reading. Every time I hear a sermon on this reading, as I have done like you, I guess, over the years, because it comes up, always in the lectionary on this, this time of the year, in the third year of the lectionary. All it does is convince me that I'm failed as a disciple because I don't hate my father and mother and my brother and my own life. And I'm not carrying a cross. And I'm not giving up all my possessions. What are we going to do with a reading like this? Well, first of all, we have to look at the context. There's a large crowd following Jesus. And he turns to them. And he says these things. Jesus at this point in his ministry is clearly popular. Large crowds are following him. But that's not Jesus' plan. That's not what he wants to do with his work and his life. He gives them the criteria for being a disciple. And I think he means it literally. That if anyone in this crowd that he's looking at, if any of you want to be my disciple, this is what it means. You need to do these things, these three things. And if you don't do them, you can't be my disciple. Not you're not allowed to be, but you're not able to be. There are lots of things that you and I are not allowed to do and there are quite a number of things that we're physically not able to do. We cannot leap tall buildings in a single bound even if we do wear our underwear on the outside of our clothes. We just can't do that. 
And the, the Greek seems to indicate that Jesus might be meaning that here. It is not physically possible in any way at all unless you do these things to be a disciple. I think he's talking to this particular group of people and he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, and I'm not sure he's that keen on whether people are going to be disciples or not, but if you want to be my disciple, you'll have to do these things. So I don't think he's talking to me at all. I don't think I can be a disciple of Jesus because first of all, he's not here. To be a disciple of someone is to be a student. They're the teacher. You not only listen to what they say, but you do what they do and you literally follow them. And in this day and age, teachers had disciples who literally followed them around the countryside. I think he's talking to a particular group of people at a particular time. And I've always been worried in the way the church uses language sort of very loosely. Even the word church. If you ask any kid in school what a church looks like, they'll draw a building that looks like this. We're very loose in the way we use language. That's not the church. This is a church building. And I try in my thinking and my language to use that, talk about this as a building for the church. We're the church. We know all that. The same thing with disciples. Maybe discipleship is what happened to that group of people who were able to follow Jesus. And it isn't for us to try and do the same thing, although many people do. The great traditions in Catholicism and in Anglicanism of the orders, where people join an order and do renounce many of the things that the rest of us live with in order to live a a life of dedication to the work of God and to prayer. And there are other orders too. I have friends who are members of the Urban Mission uh, Ministers of Hope, which is a, uh, a contemporary order of poverty where people go and live in poor areas, uh, particularly in, they started in Melbourne, believe it or not, in the Heidelberg region. They do a lot of work in the Philippines and people who dedicate themselves to this. I know other people, particularly people in their 70s and 80s, I know a number of people who, having gotten to the end of a working life and doing a particular thing, have felt a a real call to a simpler life and have given up lots of things and joined various orders, either some of the very traditional orders that have been around in many cases for hundreds and hundreds of years, or some of the newer ones, like Urban Ministers of Hope um, and like the order of the community of St Aidan and St Hilda, Uh, in Northumbria, in England, where people join and some people move into the area, some just join from other parts of the world but stay connected to it. So it's still possible to live this kind of lifestyle. And people do. And who knows which of us might not feel a sense of call to that level of, of living and simplicity. But I think for the rest of us, We have to look at this not as us becoming disciples, i.e. followers of the actual physical Jesus, but trying to come to an understanding of what these terms, what this urge might mean for us now. So whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even your own life, cannot be my disciple. Uh, Most of the scholars recognise that what's going on here is not so much hate in the way we use it, but in an an earlier understanding of it was the sense of setting aside. In the ancient world, um, hating one's family meant doing something that would injure them, that would 
do damage to the family unit. And one of the things that would do that more than anything is to separate yourself from the family about other things that you do and believe. So if you were to end up being a follower of Jesus, literally, physically, at that time, you would be doing damage to the family. And if you're not willing to do that, then you literally can't follow Jesus because he's going and the family is staying and you can't be in two places at once. There's a a, a sense where it wrenches the family apart. And the main purpose of family was to maintain itself and to grow and you as an individual within that were supposed to maintain the honour of that family and you would bring it into disgrace if you joined a wandering band. Well, what does that mean? What are we going to do with that? Well, we do have to separate ourselves from our families. You only grow as an, as a, as an autonomous individual and as, as an adult when you try and understand some of what your parents have done, both uh, overtly and covertly, things they've done um, on purpose and things that have just happened in your life. Unless you're able to separate yourself out from that a little bit, you never actually figure out who you are as an adult. And some people do live in the shadow of their family for good and for ill their whole lives, even long after their parents have died. I think it could be wrapped up in trying to please or indeed trying to rebel against our parents long after that matters. And we do need to separate ourselves out and maybe the call for us is a call to recognise ourselves as autonomous individuals with a direct communication to the meaning and purpose of the universe that we call God. And the first writings we have in the New Testament, the writings of Paul, seem to be animated by that idea. Paul, a good Jew, has this cataclysmic experience where he starts to recognise himself as having a direct, unmediated relationship with the meaning and purpose of everything. And it changed his life. And he urged other people in the letters that we have to do the same thing, to separating out. Our past does not define us. Our identity is not in who we were or where we came from, nor is it in the experiences that we've had in the past. It's not even in our genetics, even though some of us are dragging around genes that are doing things to us because of our parents that we don't want. Well, it's not even that that defines us. There's a freedom to live in the moment, in the now, that we're being invited to. And it's true when Jesus says, whoever does not carry carry the cross, and the cross is not a metaphor. That is what happened to people who were willing to stand up against the Roman Empire and to be treasonous. That's what happened. They carried a cross to the, the hill where they were to be crucified, or the side of the road mostly, where they were to be crucified and be a symbol to other people to not do the same thing. But what for us... We're not, we don't even have the death penalty in this country, even for horrendous crimes. So this is not going to be our story. Maybe we have to take it as a sense where we're willing to stand outside the accepted norms, a willingness to, again, be that individual. And just because everyone says, or just because this is the law of the land, or just because maybe we're called to step aside from that, and look at it critically 
the people of, of the small town in Queensland that nobody had ever heard of called Biloela and their work on behalf of the young Tamil family that they're trying to have stay in Australia. And that continues on now for another week uh, while they're still incarcerated on Christmas Island. At least they're together again rather than being torn apart like the Department of Homeland Affairs did recently. They're willing to just stand up and do things different and say, I know what the rules say, I know what happened, but here's some people that we love. We're going to stand differently. What are we willing to step outside of? How are we going to be free to look at things differently? It's for simple things. If you always read the same newspaper, that's fine, but read another one as well, every now and then. If you only ever listen to Channel 10 News, listen to the ABC for a while and see. You know, just those, they're big things, but little things too. I've always done it this way. Some of you, and this is not a criticism, are sitting in the same place you always sit every week. And that's, who cares? What would it look like if you sat in a different spot? I might look a lot better, because the further away you sit, of course, the better I look. Um, but who knows? Even little things like that. If you always go home this way, go home that way and see what happens. I think that's what we're being invited to do. Now, that is not the same as carrying your cross. We're not in the same league as Jesus and his disciples. But I think that's something that we're being called to. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Or another translation, my favourite is, abandon your possessions. Possessions mediate reality. And they're fantastic for that. If it's cold and wet and you don't have a coat, you're stuck with reality as it is, cold and wet. But if you've got a coat, a possession, reality can be managed. And that's fantastic. And if it's cold and wet and you've got a home in which to stay and live, then that's fantastic too. But it's easy for that, the thing that mediates reality to be a mediated or reality. People are worried at the moment by social media and about young people. Of course, we don't know because we're in the middle of this huge experiment. But what if young people are spending so much time talking to each other via electronic media that they're not able to engage with each other as flesh and blood human beings in quite the way that they need to in order to grow as human beings? We're worried about that and we have no idea because we're in the middle of this mass experiment which we can't seem to manage without... So we don't know, but, but we recognise that sometimes the, the things that mediate between us and reality are good, sometimes they're terrible. What if we're being invited by this, and this is only one reading of this text, we're invited by this to, to face reality unmediated, with all its glorious and all its horrible can't avoid it. Sometimes the stuff we've got gets in the way of that. What if we're being invited to be free of that? To free ourselves up a bit. My mother and father-in-law now both um, my father-in-law is deceased. My, my mother-in-law has now moved out of where they lived. They lived right in the middle of a cyclone area and and she's now back in a, in a little bit back off the coast and 
this recent cyclone that's come up through the Bahamas and destroyed so many islands is nowhere near where she lives and so for her that's good. But they went through and we living with them went through a number of major hurricanes, particularly Hurricane Katrina. But previous to that, a decade before, their entire house had been scraped off the ground with nothing left. And I didn't know them then. When I met them a little a few years later, they didn't have that, as much stuff as most of us have. And they tried as hard as they could not to get as much stuff as they had because half of the stuff they lost, they didn't even know what they'd gone. And so when it came to claiming on the insurance, they couldn't even remember how much stuff was in that cupboard. And that shed that had those boxes in it, what was in those boxes? Didn't care. They were just so glad to be alive. And you can read those stories in the Bahamas today. Change their relationship to possessions. And spending time with them and getting to know them has changed my relationship to possessions second hand. It's a freedom. And I think one of the ways we can read this text is as a giving permission to live freely. Which, for the earliest disciples, must have been part of their experience. They left that behind and they just got on the road with Jesus. With all the uncertainty of that, it was a moment of freedom. Maybe that's our invitation too.